0: Hey everyone, some new bonus content for you today. It's a showcase episode featuring Yanni Smith, the creator, writer, and producer of the audio drama Harlem Queen. Zach chatted with Yanni for a bit, so you're going to hear that chat as well as an excerpt from Harlem Queen. But first, I want to tell you about Tavor. Tavor is the app for fans of beer, craft brews, and trying new and exciting labels. Once you sign up in the app, you can choose the beers you're interested in, including two new ones daily, and add them to your personalized crate. Pay for the beers as you add them, then ship whenever you're ready. The shipping price will not change with the size of your order. Tavor works only with independent breweries around the world, and if you like trying new beers, it's much more cost-effective than buying and shipping one-offs. So download Tavor on the Apple or Google store to try it now. Use code TOAFN for $10 off after your first order of $25 or more. That's Tavor on the Apple or Google store, discount code TOAFN. Also, real quick... We are coming up on deadlines in a lot of places to register to vote in the U.S. presidential election this year. If you are planning to vote, go ahead and double-check that you are registered and that all your info is up to date. Um, You can do that at vote.org if you don't know where else to start. And make sure you have a plan to vote and vote safely, what with, you know, the uh, virus and all. If you are not currently planning to vote, I would strongly encourage you to consider it. Um, I'm not going to lecture anybody, but if you're trying to decide whether to vote, um, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at CT Just slide in those DMs, and I will be happy to tell you why I'm choosing to vote and why I really think you should too. Um, okay, that's all for now. Upwards and onwards to the showcase, and I will talk to you soon.
1: Everyone, I'm so excited that today we're joined by Yanni Smith, the creator, the writer, the producer of the Harlem Queen podcast. Yanni, welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm so excited. I really love your show. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your show? What's Harlem Queen about?
2: Harlem Queen is an audio drama, and it's based on the life and times of Madame Stephanie St. Clair, who was an actual woman who lived in Harlem during the 1920s and 30s and into the 60s, who was a policy banker, which is basically an illegal lottery numbers game. And so she was a black woman, and um, she independently built this uh, policy bank empire from the ground up and as a result of that not only was she be you know became a wealthy person but she was also able to help her community the harlem community through philanthropy and uh activism
1: Mm -hmm. it's a really fascinating story and it's incredible to listen to to hear in in your show how you convey all those parts of madame st Clair's life and her legacy i guess I was wondering, even though I grew up in New York, not in the city, I had never heard Stephanie St. Clair's story. So I was wondering, how did you sort of uh, learn about her story and decide that this is the story you want to turn into audio drama form?
2: Yeah, well, I had never heard of her myself until about two or three years ago. And um, I grew up in South Jersey in Hamilton, New Jersey, um, which is the blueberry capital of the world, I'm mm-hmm. always telling people. But I've always wanted to live in Harlem, and I've always been fascinated by the Harlem Renaissance, which is this time, in the 1920s into the 1930s in Harlem, where... Um, You had this influx of African-Americans coming from the South to the North to escape of all, you know, besides other things, Jim Crow and looking for better opportunities and housing and jobs and, and whatnot. So I've always been fascinated with that era. And so when I was writing this story, I started off with writing about my favorite writers from that time, like Langston Hughes and Zur Neil Hurston. And I just thought, wow, this this story needs a little punch. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so um, I did a quick Wikipedia search and saw this name, Madam St. Clair. And I I mentioned this to, to people all the time. I just assumed in my limited, in my ignorance, that this madam was a brothel madam, like a whorehouse madam. I had no idea that she was like a businesswoman. And so I ignored it. And then, fi- anyway, long story short, I go back to finally click on that link and I realize oh my, this is a black woman gangster in the 1920s and 30s. I had no idea. I mean, I wish I had clicked on the link like a year before. (laughs) And just, it would have saved me a lot of uh, drafts. I don't think anyone should feel bad about not knowing who she was because, you know, like we're all discovering nowadays, especially nowadays, is that, you know, whoever gets to tell the story controls the narrative, right? So, Mm -hmm. and gets to control what's, you know, on those Wikipedia pages or history books. And so... The story that I kept coming up against was that Dutch Schultz, who was a mobster from the Bronx at that time, beat out Stephanie St. Clair uh, and her empire. But Stephanie St. Clair actually survived Schultz. (laughs) Like, so who really won? You know, um, (laughs) Schultz was murdered in 1935, I think. And Stephanie St. Clair lived uh, well into, I believe, her 60s.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. And it's so interesting sometimes, like you said, who determines who gets to tell the stories. You mentioned over the course of the podcast, you do reference a bunch of the, I want to say more famous writers and poets from that time, Langston Hughes, like you mentioned, W.B. Du Bois, I think you name Ralph, so to speak. And it's really mm-hmm. interesting how some of those stories do get passed along. And then the story of Stephanie St. Clair just it's such a fascinating story that just didn't get passed on the way all these other people's stories did. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool that you're able to to bring this back to back to light, I guess.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
1: So that's that's sort of the story of Madame St. Clair, what were some of your inspirations and influences when turning this into a podcast specifically?
2: So I wanted to bring the world. What was interesting to me was um, how Stephanie, in my imagination, Stephanie would have straddled two worlds. So she would have been in this world with the talented 10th, which is the talented 10th is this phrase I believe it was coined by W.E.B. Du Bois of like a certain percentage of the African-American population being educated enough and able enough to lead the rest of the community. That was just his thought. I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that was out there, that existed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I wanted to bridge, in my mind, Stephanie, bridge both worlds, this upper echelon of artists, because she was able to support the community and artists and uh, women's leagues and whatnot, as well as the underworld of like speakeasies and, you know, illegal gambling and things like that. So, so yeah, I just wanted to bridge both of those worlds. I, I wanted to talk about people like Langston Hughes, but also eventually, if the seasons go on, if I'm able to produce more seasons, to talk a little more about like Augusta Savage and Dorothy West and Angelica Grimke. I've never I never knew how to pronounce her name and other like Claude McKay, other writers and artists of that time that might be less known. And I just added like Zora Neale Hurston and Langston Hughes because those are two people I assume a lot of people are familiar with. Yeah, as the seasons go on, I would like to 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 uncover some more people that I'm just learning about and get more into the nitty gritty of like, the economics of this whole policy, banking, you know, it was, it sounds pretty interesting to me.
1: Mm-hmm. It's really interesting that whole time period, like you said, the interactions of the speakeasies and all of the sort of underground mobster stuff going on. It's a it's a fascinating time period. So then may I ask as a follow-up, you must have to do a lot of research and a lot of learning about these characters in order to write about them. How much research do you put into it and how much of your story is loosely based on
2: the yeah. reality
1: and how much is directly taken out of the history books?
2: Right. So I never really considered myself much of a researcher until until I started writing this, and I loved I love 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 finding books and doing this research. So one I don't want to bore you with titles of books I I can but so yeah I've read there was a uh, a biography of Stephanie Saint Clair that I read another biography about my Stephen Carter based on uh, about Eunice Carter, who was a black woman lawyer at this time. So uh, what else did I? uh, Newspaper articles um, looking at old issues of the Amsterdam news was invaluable because then I could see like what would a menu at the W.E.B. Du Bois' wedding look like Mm -mm. or what would the menu at like one of these these contest winner dinners look like you know looking up images of these places to see what the inside looks like even though it's not a obviously audio drama isn't visual I just like to have a visual with it Um, looking up clothes looking up
1: prices how much the shoes cost I think it really comes through as well especially the way you incorporate the the music going on as well like even though it is an audio medium, I feel when I'm listening that I could really see all that environment that you're describing. So it's really, it carries through really nicely.
2: Great. Thank you. I mean, I, I, the music, I'm glad you reminded me. I, 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 uh, there's this great website that lists, um, that I found that I could find, um, old recordings of, like Duke Ellington before he became Duke Ellington, you, oh, wow. know? you know, like when he was Duke Ellington and just starting out and also, so another part of the question, your question was, what is fiction? So a big part of this story that is fictional fictionalized is the character Michelle. Mm. So Michelle did not exist. Stephanie St. Clair did have a child, but that child died in his infancy. So I created that whole character, that whole conflict. I'm a mother, so it was quote unquote easy for me to make such a, in my mind, a powerful, strong, you know, even though I don't like that word strong anymore, but powerful, smart, ambitious woman weak was the love of her child. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
2: You know like a, a mother's love you can you will probably do just about anything for your child. So I actually that's not weak. That's strength but you know, I right. digress.
1: <laughs> no, it's 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 an important point I think to remember that that is strength there, but Yeah. it's it also it really drives your plot and I I really appreciate that. That's good to know that it that's the part that you created. And I think that's a good transition. I think you've brought in a couple of clips for our audience to listen to. So speaking of Michelle, why don't you introduce the the first clip that you have for us?
2: So um the first clip that I have is from season two, episode two, it's the first few minutes. It's when actually Holstein confronts Stephanie about this missing girl. Um Stephanie Is putting out a lot of money and energy and finding this uh, girl that this what everyone thinks is a white girl to find her to get her bring her back and no one quite understands why Stephanie who is black is so invested in the safe return of this white girl. And so people are trying to sniff out what the connection is. And Holstein has decided to, to take advantage of the situation and uh, negotiate, you know, getting one of Stephanie's books. I don't know if I, uh, you know, a policy book is basically um, like a, an account. So in that book will be all, a, a lot of your clients, your numbers players. And so when you hold someone's book, You are responsible for when those numbers hit and when they and the payouts for those hits. And so, yeah, that Mm -hmm. that's a big chunk of her business that he kind of uh, negotiates
1: out of her. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's not too much of a spoiler. The the audience at this point knows that Michelle is actually Stephanie's daughter, but she's been keeping it a secret from the rest of the world. And they're trying to understand why, you know, why she cares so much. Right.
2: Exactly. Yes, it's in the first season. Um, I just make it plain and clear that exactly what you said, <laughs> Michelle is Stephanie's daughter, but Michelle doesn't know that she's Stephanie's daughter.
1: Hmm. Well, let's dive into the clip, and we'll be right back.
3: Yes, come in.
4: Good evening, Stephanie.
3: Monsieur Olstein. Ah. Uh... Appointment time was eight o'clock, at your request. It's a quarter to nine.
4: My apologies. I had some unexpected business to tend to.
3: In our line of work, business can be very unexpected. Please have a seat.
4: Would you like to stay for supper? Oh, no. Thank you. I won't take up too much of your time. I have come to offer you my help.
3: A day late and a dollar short, as usual.
4: Beg pardon?
3: Thank you for the offer, but why would I ever
4: need your help? You are betting against yourself, Stephanie. That is not good business.
3: My business is none of your business.
4: Okay. I'll just come out and ask, what is your connection with that missing girl?
3: My business is none of your business.
4: As a community... We must all work together to protect one another. And the two black men and one woman, they have lynched since this search is a major concern for our community. Don't you agree, Madame Sinclair?
3: Those lynchings have nothing to do with this case.
4: You have given every no-good copper the incentive to stop any car with a white girl in it from here to Florida. Do you know how many black men are chauffeurs? Those white boys are having a field day. And that reward money... In a redneck with a rope is just itching.
3: As if they needed an incentive.
4: I will take two of your books off your hands to pay for more discreet detectives. Negro detectives.
3: You're going to send Negroes to look for a white girl?
4: I told you, they will be much more discreet than the Ofez you hired.
3: I will call off the hands, but I will not give you two of my books.
4: This search... Is a big expense that you cannot afford. The pay, gas money, meals, it all adds up. How do I know you don't have a. Why would I need to kidnap some girl? Because you know she is very close and dear to me. Is she? I didn't know that until just now.
3: My customers are loyal and superstitious, they will never play
4: their numbers with you. They won't even know I hold their policies. Are your same people who do the crunching and running? I'll just provide the payouts, if anything hits. And you'll see to it, that none of the numbers hit?
3: Yeah. We'll,
4: uh we'll see how things go.
3: I will take down the reward. You can hold one of my books to cover expenses, but you have to promise me you will not stop searching for her until she is found.
4: I promise.
1: Welcome back. Thank, thank you for providing that clip. Now that we've heard it, can you talk a little bit what about that clip was made you want to show that bit off in particular? I, I imagine it links to what you were talking about the the strength of a mother
2: um yeah it talks about the strength of the mother it also talks about how you know stephanie is so focused on getting michelle back that she's not realizing the risk that she's putting other people in like the jeopardy she's putting other people in and an example of that are the black male drivers who were driving people or white people around all the time. And it made for a very dangerous, hostile situation. Mm -hmm. And so that is one of the things that uh, convinces Stephanie to give Holstein her book. Also, I just like, you know, I just like that turn in where Stephanie gives herself away, um, where she says, well, you know, how do I know that you don't have her? And he Holstein says, "Well, why would I kid- need to kidnap a girl?" And Stephanie says, "Well, because you know how important she is to me." And Holstein is like, "Really? I didn't know that mm-hmm. <laughs> until just that. I just love like she just gives herself away so um, without even realizing it. So I I just thought that was good.
1: Yeah, that was a that was a good line there, and it also has unfortunately a lot of resonance with a lot of what's been going on now in the world as well with sort of how in, in Stephanie's case, what's sort of a good intention idea to try and get her daughter back and have all these unintended consequences of enabling very bad behavior by the police force.
2: Yeah. And, um, yes. And of course I wrote this years, like a couple of years ago. um, before 2020 um and uh police br- brutality is nothing new and uh lynching unfortunately is nothing new mm-hmm. and um i i seriously while writing it was like oh boy um this story takes place 20 years ago <laughs> and it's still um and here we are so um
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, yeah Another thing that I picked up on about Stephanie St. Clair and reading the Amsterdam news articles is that she was very aware of police brutality. And in fact, not every week, but every once in a while, she would put out these what I call advertisements where she was where she would just write letters to the community of Harlem and tell them of instances of police brutality of some of, of police officers bursting into people's apartments, people being falsely arrested, you know, falsely accused of crimes. Um, She would say how she had to pay like the hundreds and hundreds of dollars that she had to pay to police officers to look the other way. So that is something I tried to incorporate in the story. Um, Mm -hmm. She she does not trust the
1: cops. (laughs) Right. And it's... And as you said, police brutality is not a not a new thing by any means. And sometimes it's useful to be reminded that that's not a new thing, despite what some, some areas of the internet might want to lead you to believe. This has been going on and has been going on for a long time. Yes, very long. It also is interesting to me as well, as you were talking about how much Stephanie fed back into her community, both in terms of these these notices that you're talking about, but also just the charitable donations to the writers and the the poets in her neighborhood and the scholarships mm-hmm. and so forth. Mm-hmm. At the same time she did make her money off of, you know, what at that time was, you know, during Prohibition, gambling and booze basically.
2: Yes. It's exactly. a it's
1: a fascinating dichotomy. And I think adding in the the relationship with her secret daughter just adds another layer to that i think
2: yeah thank you yes it's it's hard to it's not really hard for me to reconcile that even though what she was doing was quote unquote illegal mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean the numbers still exist today they're just called the state lottery
1: mm-hmm. um, yeah
2: uh we're we can still drink alcohol today so um i don't really they I don't really see her, her work as being illegal. I, and also, as I understand it, it was such a valuable source of employment for so many people in the community. And, you know, she was not the only policy banker in Harlem. There was Casper Holstein, as you know, as mentioned, um, Ibsen, I mentioned like in one line, there were many. And, um, even though these people, yes, they made a lot of money and they lived wealthy lives, I, I still feel or I get the impression that they were true race people, like they quote unquote race people. They still wanted to be a good representation of their race of, of you know African Americans, and um, they felt that it was their responsibility to still provide you know the support, the economic support for the, for their community.
1: Right. Yeah. And I was, I did a little bit of uh, very, very basic research compared to what I'm sure you did. But it also looks like part of the part of the roles of these policy books was to sort of serve as like pseudo banking for people for whom the, you know, uh, big banks wouldn't give the time of day. So that's, you know, that's also exactly. a really powerful benefit to their, their their community. I didn't mean to say that just by dealing in booze and and gambling that necessarily makes her bad, but it's just it's an interesting. Uh, no,
2: I I didn't take it that way, and I I do think it's interesting, and I'm glad you mentioned the the actual structure of the bank because yes, in, in many cases these policy banks were banks like quote unquote legitimate which you would consider a legitimate bank. They gave loans. um, They bought real estate, like Holstein apparently owned, you know, real estate in Harlem. They they were able to provide the funding um, for African-Americans to start businesses in Harlem. Um, Mm -hmm. So and then not only that, but like playing the numbers itself, like, If you win, (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. a big deal. (laughs) I mean, and it's kind of money that is just staying within the community. Like, you know, I win today, you win next week. And we're all still giving our same 10, 10, you know, 10 cents or dimes or whatever every week. And it's still staying in the community. So if I win this week and you're my neighbor uh, and I win this week and I can, you know, Oh, My Daddy Was a Numbers Runner. It was another, another book that I was looking at, I read. Um, so what was so interesting about that story is that one family would win one week and, and they would have a party and they would have food and then they would help another family with like buying rice or, or, or meat or whatever. And then another family would win and they would reciprocate. So it was kind of like everyone supporting each other. So I just... Really think that's really fascinating.
1: Yeah, certainly, is is very fascinating. And so with that, I believe the the next clip you've brought for us is uh, more towards the sort of the dramatic peak of the season a little bit. So why don't you introduce this next clip for us?
2: Yes. So the next clip is from uh, <laughs> episode four of season two. Season two, episode four, and this is an exchange between Lucky Luciano. And Ida. So Ida poses as Michelle's uh, legal guardian because Stephanie does not want to pose as her legal guardian because she is uh, she doesn't want anyone to know that she's related to Michelle. So basically, Lucky Luciano gets a hint that Michelle could be Stephanie's daughter from a previous scene through uh, Casper Holstein. So this is Lucky trying to get the truth out of Ida.
1: Let's dive right in.
5: Reynolds, I'm really not in the mood to have dinner with Mr. Luciano. It's been a long day.
3: Ida, sweetheart. He wants to thank me for finding them on the girl. It put him in good with St. Clair. You should be thanking me, too.
5: Thank you for what? You got lucky, finding
3: Michelle. Maybe Lucky's luck rubs off on people. Hey, Manos, since you've been driving for Lucky, haven't you been lucky? Yes, sir, Mr. Reynolds. I haven't been clipped once in three months. You see, I just want you with me when Lucky shows me his gratitude. A few extra clams means more ice on that adorable little neck of yours. I don't
5: like leaving Michelle alone.
3: We'll have a drink or two, and Manos will drive you home. In fact, Manos can go park in front of your apartment building and make sure the girl is safe. Fine.
5: Just one drink. Manos, pick me up at 11 sharp.
3: You got it, Miss Ida.
5: What a lovely view of Central Park you have, Mr. Luciano.
6: Yes, Ida, Central Park. It's especially nice this time of year, in spite of the heat. It's time for me to go cool off at my estate at the shore. You should come out sometime.
5: Love to. Thank you.
6: So I'm sure you're relieved that your charge, Miss. Mondeser has returned, safe and sound.
5: Oh, yes, very. I have been worried sick, haven't slept for days.
6: Madam Sinclair's spirits have certainly picked up. Well,
5: yes. Stephanie practically helped me raise her.
6: Uh Uh-huh. You and Stephanie, you go back. Way back, I hear.
5: Yes, we've known each other for years. I am quite exhausted, all of the excitement. Reynolds, darling, won't you be a dear and call me a cab? You
6: didn't finish your drink.
5: I have had enough, thank you. I'll
6: call you a cab as soon as you tell me. What's the connection between St. Clair and Mon Desire?
5: Michelle's parents died at sea coming to this country when she was a baby. Stephanie was their maid. I was the only living blood relative, so Stephanie and I took care of her.
6: Stephanie St. Clair was somebody's maid. (laughs) I guess we all gotta start somewheres. I was a shoeshine boy.
5: Will you call that car for me, please? Not
6: until you tell me. The relationship that that girl has with St. Clair. A relationship that had St. Clair practically give away a fifth of her business and run through cash like gin runs through a whore's stockings.
5: I already told you about the relationship. Not that it's any of your business. If you don't call me a cab, I'll hail one myself. I'm leaving.
6: Wait a minute. You
5: get your hands off me, Reynolds.
6: What kind of hold does that girl have on St. Clair? Let go of me. Somebody told me that that girl is St. Clair's kid. Let me go. You can either tell me or I'll ask the girl myself. I already told you everything. Fine. You don't want to talk. I'll have you arrested for <gasps> drunkenness. What? We can't do that have you forgotten about the 18th amendment single woman with liquor on a breath leaving a man's apartment walking through midtown hailing a cab in the middle of the night that doesn't look
3: good sorry to disturb mr reynolds mr luciano it's five past eleven
5: Mahomes. thank you punctuals ever.
3: You okay, Miss Ida?
5: I'm fine. Just take me home, please.
3: Of course, Miss Ida. Good night, gentlemen.
5: Manos, I need you to take me to my apartment and get Michelle, then take us to Stephanie's mansion in Harlem.
1: Excellent. So, why don't you talk about what you wanted to show off about this clip a little bit as well.
2: Um, What I wanted to show off about this clip was I wanted to show the relationship with Ida and Reynolds and how everyone is connected, right? So Reynolds is Lucky Luciano's lawyer or bail bondsman, or he's the guy who, you know, long story short, just takes care of Lucky Luciano's businesses. So I wanted to establish that relationship, Reynolds and Ida and then in order for Ida to have a reason to go visit with Lucky Luciano Lucky Luciano at this point is above Dutch Schultz so he's more more mean and more powerful than Dutch Schultz so um Lucky Luciano really wants to go in on this policy empire in Harlem not just with Stephanie But with all of them right so in this scene he he figures his way his his his, stephanie's point of weakness quote-unquote weakness is this daughter and so he's trying to get the confirmation out of ida yeah i like that scene because um well first of all let me just backtrack and just say how incredible my actors are
1: (laughs) they they're they're incredible they do such a great job (laughs)
2: I mean I should have I should have led with that (laughs) but um, I just really like how Aida who's uh, portrayed by Jocelyn O'Toole and Lucky Luciano who's portrayed by Peter Keeley and um, uh, Reynolds who's portrayed by um, Ian Bell all of the cast is listed on the website and on our show notes so I just liked the back and forth between the two of them um it was a little, it, I liked the intensity. I liked um, their deliverance. I loved the, the crack in, in, in Ida's voice, the worry, the concern. And I, I loved how Ida was still willing to be Stephanie's friend in that moment. Like she was re- still willing to keep that secret and not, uh, and not be another weak spot for, for that, that Luciano could take
1: advantage of. Mm-hmm. And what I what I found really interesting about it as well is Luciano sort of fits more of the pop culture stereotype of a mobster, you know. Y- yes. Uh, yeah. The whole, you know, threatening people, blackmailing people and, you know, no concern for anything except, you know, what their goal, what their objective is. Right. And I think that really serves as a an interesting comparison against Stephanie herself where you see both with her daughter and her community how she's you know she's just as as business driven when she needs to be but that's not the that's not the full of her character right mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. she's she's a much more more complete character than some of those stereotypes of mobsters you often see in movies and stuff
2: yes yeah 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 i mean yeah luciano's only mission is just to you know control and rule things and own things. And I mean, I I can't say I've done nearly as much uh, research on Luciano as I did on Stephanie St. Clair. So yeah, he, I'm just, he's just straight up villain in this story. (laughs) Every every story
1: needs a villain though, right?
2: (laughs) Right. He's bad. He's mean. That's all you need to know.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. So season two of your show just recently wrapped up you mentioned a little bit you have some plans in mind for what's what's coming next so do you can you share a little bit of what's what's coming up for harlem queen
2: yeah i think what needs to happen now is that there has to be um stephanie has to get caught right so our hero has to get has to get caught it has to happen and so there will be a big i've done some some limited research on in the amsterdam news i just cannot tell you how valuable these old clippings are of her of her experiences in court and it's just laughable (laughs) it's like
3: it's just
2: it's just so it's like really did this really happen um which i question because even if it's in the newspaper doesn't necessarily mean right mean anything so i'm i'm really excited to um add some of that into the mix of how she gets herself out of a jam and um, I really expect right now I'm thinking that Michelle will be the one to do her in it just has to happen she she fortunately she she does unfortunately she does not like her mother
1: (laughs) yeah well it will be it will be fascinating podcasting once it happens and like we mentioned before, your show, it's incredibly produced, the the audio, the the music that sets you into the, the mood of that time. Your actors do an excellent job. It's really an incredible show. And I hope all of our listeners will go check it out. Where can where can our listeners go find Harlem Queen and where can they support you and your work?
2: Um, so Harlem Queen is uh, uh, you can listen to it on uh, Apple, uh, Spotify, Stitcher. And you can also follow me on Twitter at at Audio Harlem. And I'm also on Instagram at Harlem Queen Audio Drama. I do have a Patreon page, which is so wonderful. I have... Mm some wonderful supporters that helps ease a lot of the expense of this um at the uh, you know that's basically they keep the website going <laughs> right um and that's at patreon i do have a patreon page and and of course the biggest support is just listening to it and subscribing and um if if people are so inclined if they could put a comment at the, and, you know, rate us on iTunes, as they say, that's, that's pretty
1: valuable. Excellent. I, I hope our listeners will go check you out. Cause it's really, it's such a well, well-made podcast. It's really, it's really great work. Thank you so
2: much. I really appreciate it. Um, and, and um, I have to shout out my, my writers group who um, listened to so many drafts of this story for a couple of years As well as, of course, my very talented cast, um, my wonderful sound designer, Pete, uh, who does, you know, anyway, uh, you know, I'm like, you know, you know, it's 1928 uh, Harlem. Just make this traffic sounds like that. (laughs) And and he's able to do that. So, yeah, yeah. Like I said, everyone is listed in our show notes and on our website. And, uh, you know, thank you so much for, for, for having me today. I, I just love
1: blabbing about history and audio drama. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so do I, that's, I'm so glad you were able to join us. And then the, the last question I wanted to ask you, uh, we've been sort of trying to, you know, grow the whole audio drama field and, you know, help everyone learn about all the great audio dramas that are out there. So are there any other audio dramas in addition to your own that you love that you'd like to shout out real quick?
2: yeah so yours of course i thank you i um actually there's so much and i have to say i i just started listening to it and i i think i started at the end but i don't feel out of sync like i don't feel like oh what's going on i feel like each episode is well crafted enough to put me in the story oh thank you that's great yeah Yeah, I I am actually really enjoying it. So I'm about to go for a run now and I will listen to more of it.
1: (laughs) Awesome.
2: Um, But I'm always shouting out Axe and Crown because that was the first one I ever listened to. And I just thought, oh, this is an incredible medium. I'm sorry, I have a little list here. So like one, so Axe and Crown, exoplanetary. And I think the reason why I like that also is because it's like, Uh, In my mind, it's individual stories. I don't think it's written that way, but I feel like I can go in and um, be in that world, immersed in that world right away. Uh, Sage and Savant, which I also enjoy. Red House Rising. I listened to One Day and... I was walking in the park and I had to duck because, you know, it's about it's the sound effects was so effective. Oh. <laughs> I was just ducking and weaving and just totally immersed in that story. Um, Boom, I also listen to and I really enjoy. And uh, Dead Beats Inc. Um, uh, another story, a story uh, created by a woman of color as well as Boom. And um I, I really enjoy
1: hearing their voices as well. Mm-hmm. Those sound like some excellent recommendations. I have a lot of new listening to listen to because of that. So thank you. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a wonderful conversation. I've really appreciated you being here.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This was fun. I hope we
1: can do it again sometime.
2: Absolutely. Season three.
1: <laughs> Season three. Do you, do you know when it's coming out?
2: no i don't that's totally (laughs) fair Uh,
1: with everything going on in the world in the quarantine and everything making episodes is tough yeah but i can't wait to hear season three whenever it's ready i'm i'm really looking forward to it
2: thank you so much i really appreciate your support